Hi, I'm Evan Martin, and I'm excited to introduce my co-host, Daniel Bianchini. How are you doing today, Daniel? Hey, Evan. I'm doing great. I uh, went to a production Into the Woods last night and uh, excited for my Friday, excited for the weekend. How are you doing? I'm doing well as as good as I can be. Uh, I, I was out late last night for a celebration of life for a colleague from HFMA that passed. So it's been uh, a busy week, but I'm glad it's Friday and we're going to get some downtime after we uh, wrap up some recordings today. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a recording heavy week, but uh, yeah, very excited to get the podcast out. Me too. Um, and this is our episode three, which is going to be a two-part episode, actually. So um, for all of you listeners, it's a good idea if you did not listen to uh, make sure that you put on your calendar for part two coming in a couple of weeks. Um, it, it'll be released on one of our Wilshire Wednesdays. Great. And uh, with that, we can probably just jump right into our hot topic segment. Yeah, let's introduce today's guest. So I have the honor of introducing our first guest, someone I've known for a little while. Uh, so this, this guest is a senior strategic advisor that specializes in revenue cycle management and optimization. I uh, spent nine years, uh, their journey at the healthcare revenue cycle at Epic, where they were on the claims and remittance implementation team. Uh, and then since leaving Epic, uh, they spent a year at an insurance company seeing the payer side of healthcare. Uh, so a little different than their work at Epic, and where they assisted in increasing auto adjudication rates for claims by 11%, while also improving the quality and accuracy of the claim payments. And now here at Wilshire, uh, Mark, our, our very own Mark Wilson, has, had the, has been working with an organization to bring a new hospital live in Epic's patient access and revenue cycle suite of products, as well as working with the safety net hospitals to stand up a revenue integrity department. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Thanks for having me. All right, and I get the pleasure of introducing our second distinguished guest. She's one of our managing partners and founders of the Wilshire Group. She's responsible for our service line of innovation, client engagement, staff recruitment and development. Um, she's one of the leading industry experts in revenue integrity space, um, including lots of recognition across the nation um, by Epic and by her fellow peers. Um, she can help you with charge capture strategies, Epic installs, hospital billing compliance and audits. Um, she is just amazing and has been one of my biggest mentors for the last 10 years that I've had the pleasure of well, um, working with. So welcome, Gretchen Case. Thank you, Evan. You joining Wilshire was one of my favorite things about Wilshire uh, ever. Now to today's hot topics. Today's hot topic comes from a few weeks ago when we saw that the Senate passed a 51 to 50 vote with Vice President Harris going ahead and having to be the tiebreaker. The impact of this new bill will be $739 billion. Um, while at the time this episode is gonna air, we already know that the bill has passed the Senate and has passed the House and is on its way to Biden's desk for final signature, but we still wanted to cover this topic today. The bill is titled the Inflation Reduction Act and touches on energy tax reform and health care. We've already seen some of our colleagues starting to comment and publish around the key impacts to health care and other takeaways. Gretchen and Mark, what are some things that our listener, our listeners should be paying attention to? Um, one of the things I find most interesting is, is 
at a general level is the approach that CMS and, and, and Congress takes towards uh, bucketing of, of various um, uh, rules and regulations. And I always call it the buckets of money. And the buckets of money are like part A, part B, part D. And you really can't you know, cross buckets is what I found out in my experience. And as a matter of fact, that's a, that's a big uh, issue when you were to say, why don't you just take it out of part A and put it in part B? Well, that, it doesn't work like that at a legislative level. And so we are then forced to sort of make rules in this sort of ad hoc way. We're going to give you a little bit over here in part D with the drug benefits, but we're going to, you know, take away over here in part A. And I just find it a false pretense to how we do health policy in this country in general. And it's frustrating, but overall, I do think that this current uh, bill is a is a big win for patients and providers. I agree. I think the having Medicare be able to negotiate um, for medications is also going to be huge. Uh, now, it's only they're only allowed to negotiate for ten a year, uh, but I think you know getting some of those higher price ones uh, at a more affordable level for our our folks that are on Medicare will be a big win over time. Um, I will say one of the items that, that frustrated me though, uh, was that the insulin protection was pulled out of the final bill. Uh, I know quite a few people, you know, in my kind of age range that use insulin and are spending hundreds of dollars on it a month, even with their insurance. Um, so hopefully something that can come back in and, you know, future, bills and, you know, hopefully fix that um, for a burden that, you know, are on a lot of people. Yeah, I agree, Mark. There's an added piece to that one as well, which is part in Medicare. One of the one of the areas where it covers a lot of people beyond seniors is in end-stage renal disease because you are covered for end-stage renal disease, regardless of your age. And it's in a population, quite honestly, that has a high level of diabetes, which is the one, they're the ones that are in need of, of, of insulin. And so a lot of people, you know, read stories in the paper about people determining whether or not they're going to eat food that week or take their insulin, or they're starting to self dose, which is, I think I'm okay at this dose versus what I've actually been prescribed to take. Um, yeah, so that it, it fell short there, but it is a step overall in the right direction. It is interesting and surprising how much when you looked at how they're breaking down the bill itself and where they think that the funds are going to end up falling. And the fact that, you know, over over half of it is really going towards that revenue raised component um, is what they're calling it versus total investment component. And it, prescription drugs being right there for, you know, 288 billion of what they're projecting out. So um, that, and, and they're doing it from, you know, the joint committee on uh, Congress budget office versus, you know, breaking it down for like joint committee where uh, that joint committee of taxation estimate, they have this carrier interest loophole but it's not well published about in that component. So it'll be interesting to see what actually falls through that loophole component. And then when you look at investments, you know, they're putting that under the Congress budget office estimates as well of 64 billion for just the Affordable Care Act and expansion of that. But we know that the current act itself hasn't even been adopted 
fully well by a lot of the states. So it'll be really interesting to see how this additional funding aspect of it is going to be, you know, governed and legislated um, even more so. And uh, what what you know CMS will actually put into effect to hold people's feet to the fire on the on the Medicaid component of the, this. Mark, I know you mentioned earlier that there was ten drugs. I think you mentioned that we'd be um, that Medicare would be negotiating on. Yep. Do you do you know if there's like a, a, how they're going to be choosing those, or if that's something that like the IT world would be able to help kind of reference or influence just with the data that we have at our fingertips? Yeah, I actually haven't heard anything about that. I'm I'm guessing that they, I mean, they get all the claims and they have reporting on their end that, you know, they'll look for some of the ones that they're paying the most for that, you know, potentially should not be. Uh, I think insulin, you know, is one of those prime examples again, where we can, you know, we might be paying, you know, $300 for a vial of that. And if that can get down to $30, you know, that's a large amount of savings. So I would imagine that they'll, <laughs> I hope that they'll look at it that way. <laughs> I, I wanted to go back to, to something uh, Evan brought up. The extension of the subsidy for the uh, Affordable Care Act is a huge win for those that are participating through those programs, which uh, is, is very significant for a significant portion of Americans. Um, and I think that it shows the power that uh, this particular legislative body has. And I think that I think in general, because of the Medicare population, there's a huge part of Medicare managed care population, Medicare Advantage, that is also impacted by some of this as well. Um, but that is a huge extension. And, you know, it, this is our sort of sort of incremental way as we sort of step towards some sort of expansion of Medicare um, which we all know is a, a social insurance. It's mandatory contributory social insurance. So we'll see. This is the way that we kind of do it here, uh, but at least it's kind of moving in the right direction, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, toggling over to that drug component of it as well, I think, you know, we've never seen a governmental agency have buying power before and going towards that social norm in other countries, they do have that buying power as a country for medications and components. So I think that too is what will be interesting to see how those 10 drugs play out and then how do the managed care plans and ultimately commercial plans start to follow suit and see if they're going to try to leverage buying power and how's that gonna impact our health systems going forward to say, okay, well, Medicare has this buying power or pricing power, but how does that translate back to us as a health system who actually has to purchase the medication and do that? And are we going to have new codes or new billing processes to identify on Medicare that like, hey, manufacturer or, you know, pharmaceutical organization, you have to rebate your hospitals now to offset that to, to, pay that, that component, that Medicare, what does that look like? So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for all of our clients and uh, as a nation. And especially, you know, ultimately it's like uh, they're trying to go for a hundred drugs over the next 10 years. So 10 a year, but how does that apply, you know, really our impact and effects, will that be 
immediate or is that going to be five years in? We're now just starting to see that first 10 or that first 20 coming, you know, impacting our organizations and how we actually leverage and negotiate. So it'll it'll be very interesting um, to watch that along with, you know, midterms coming up and seeing how we potentially will have a new stack and a new deck uh, in both the Senate and the House. And how's that going to play out for um, additions or new legislation that might actually come in and put in higher restrictions back on um, the Affordable Care Act? You know, and it, it's always interesting to watch how the parties toggle. Yes, I think we have a lot, a lot to keep an eye on over the next few years. All right. Well, I think that gives you guys a little synopsis that we're going to continue to watch it. Check out our blogs in the future as well for from the Wilshire team. And we'll go from there. All right. Let's take a quick break and we will be right back. The National Association of Healthcare Revenue Integrity, NARI, is holding the 22nd Revenue Integrity Symposium at the Hilton Phoenix Resort at the peak on Monday, September 19th, and Tuesday, September 20th. From the Wilshire Group, our team members, Gretchen Case and Mark Wilson, will be in attendance. This is a great chance to connect with them and ask questions in person. See you there. And we're back. Okay, Gretchen and Mark, it's time to transition into the segment called The Debate. Or in this case, we're calling it The Smackdown. And in this segment, each week, we'll discuss an industry trend or an out-of-the-box idea. And we are excited for this topic since it hits home for all of us on the call today around operations and IT and the misunderstandings or the misnomers. So we're going to pass it off to you, Gretchen and Mark, and we'll just chime in as you guys are going through your hot debate. Sounds perfect. Um, I I wanted to sort of start off with a little... uh, story about sort of this issue and where it's been brewing over the last 10 or 15 years as we've all started to transition into uh, the electronic health record world, no matter whether you're inside a hospital or a provider group or you're a consultant, uh, it seems to touch all of us in in all areas. When I was at Cedars-Sinai with Revenue Integrity and built that department, um, there was the period where we were implementing Epic. And this was a uh, went live in 2009. We started the build in 2007 and we had several implementation partners. And one of them was uh, tasked with defining future state. And they were doing org charts and, and reporting structures and all of that fun stuff that has to be sort of addressed when you're doing an implementation. And one of the questions to the executive directors was, do you see yourself as IT or operations? And I said, I'm both. Uh, and of course, they didn't like that answer because it didn't fit into the boxes. Um, and I, I, I ended up speaking with partners at, at a partner level. It's like, please choose one. And now in retrospect, as a consultant, I'm like, well, what a, what, you know, what a pain. But it's true that if I wanted to be effective in my role in operations, I needed to be fairly, if not deeply knowledgeable of the technology components that were related to my operation, so to speak. And uh, I I have only seen this grow more and more and more true every year. And we thought, Mark and I have been working on a project together for the last eight months or so. And it has revealed a lot of things to me that we wanted to sort of talk about um, our experience. 
Yeah, it has been really interesting working with Gretchen, who comes from that operational background where, as Daniel mentioned, I spent my first nine years in healthcare at Epic on the IT side. And at Epic, uh, basically the last five years, I was doing more of the pairing with, you know, VP, CFO level um, to kind of understand how they perceive the system and make sure everything is set up right and working for them. And then really trying to translate that back to the IT team for what needs to be done. Um, I mean, I think we've all had those meetings where IT and operations get together and we say, operations says, well, we want this to happen. And IT goes and does that. And it's sometimes not at all what operations ask for, uh, even though operations thought they were clear on what they asked for. I think one of the you know, big examples that sticks out in my head being on that claims and remittance side where we got a lot of requests for, well, this should apply for Medicare. Okay, you know, as a newbie, you know, in the industry, is that Medicare as the payer? Is that, you know, Medicare Advantage plans as well? Um, so really, you know, making sure that IT fully understands what operations is saying and also operations, you know, giving more specificity into what they are requesting. Um, another, I mean, another example, there's a group I worked with in um, Louisiana where when we said this should apply to Medicaid, they have four or five Medicaid state sponsored like commercial plans. And, you know, over time we learned Medicaid means all of them, not just the true state Medicaid. Right. Um, just, you know, one example of how, you know, when operations says one thing, IT might take that as something potentially different and how we work through that and make sure that we're successful overall. You're, you're being too nice. Um, and, and the, you know, with clients, we've all heard uh, working, especially on the ops side, do you think this, do you think this request looks right? Because I don't want to get it back from IT. I, I don't want to get my request thrown back at me. And they feel like they've, they're stupid or they've missed something. Um, and I think what sort of generated this idea is one, we're all working in that space now. And I think we could all agree that it's pretty tense out there right now between the departments. Resources are being uh, cut out. You've got a lot of cost containment. You've got a lot of you know, the whole remote, remote experience that we're all living in. And, and tensions are high. And I just, at least in my perception, several clients that I've worked with, it seems to be escalating. So the other day, <clears throat> Mark and I were in a meeting and we were working with a claim capital team, a, a, a company that Wilshire is sort of working with now, software development, great, great group of people. And um, they said, we were talking with them about a development tool. And I said, uh, you know, just go get the data. It's all in Epic. And I, I just need this report with this in it. And I could actually see Mark on, on the screen, like roll his eyes. And I'm like, what? What did I say? And he said something like, so ops, you know, like what I had just said. And I, I didn't realize that I actually sounded like ops. And I, I was like, what does that mean? I'm speaking a language that somehow a little bit, offensive or causes a bit of a ruffle and I don't even know what I'm saying. And so of course Mark has pointed it out to me multiple times since that initial finding. But um maybe you could you maybe you could explain it the way you heard it. Yeah, I mean 
trying to think back to that specific example, it was something with charging, you know, which we've been and then knee deep in, or maybe neck deep in for a while now. Um, and for those of you that have worked in Epic, and I'm sure it's similar in other system as well, you know, there's a lot of different master files and things that play into that. Um, so we have the procedures, EAPs, we have cost centers, you know, we have the charge router and how it routes everything. Um, so what Gretchen asked for was basically a, you know, grouping of all of these different items and where they could route and what revenue code it might change to and, you know, this, that, and the other thing, which, you know, putting my operational hat on sounds easy and sounds like something that we should just be able to pull. Um, but it is more complicated than that. We can't just, you know, run a single report to get something. We really need to pull multiple reports from various sources to get all of that data and then make sure it's linked up together appropriately. Because again, as someone from more of the, you know, IT background, I've gotten my hand slapped for giving the wrong data to operations. And, you know, I want to make sure that what I'm providing is, you know, truly what's there and what, what you're asking for. Do you guys think that part of the issue too, like, I mean, coming from ops, I'm one of the more recent op transitions, right, into the consulting world, but coming from an ops perspective, I mean, different or, and being at multiple organizations now on the operations side as well. I mean, some organizations, IT expects you just to put a problem statement in and then IT goes and finds what it is, what the solution or interprets your problem statement to come up with a solution. And then others like myself and Gretchen from an ops background who have gone to Epic and maybe have certifications or even have gone through the process enough that they could have gotten a certification or whatnot, you know, and have, I mean, I have like 49 deployments under my belt. So um, when you look at it from that perspective, I know what I want. Um, I might not know all the right terms that that IT department utilizes, or I'll even say like, I can think of a most recent, I was like talking about Grand Central and everybody's looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, ADT Prelude, like, and then they're like, oh, okay. And I'm like, but it's called Grand Central now at Epic. And they're like, it is? And I'm like, yeah, it is. So. Um, and that was the old IT themselves, right? So I, do you think that because more operational leaders are being encouraged to go back and get certifications that that's throwing any form of a wrench in the miscommunication because they're thinking that they can talk the lingo, but maybe they're not quite understanding the full lingo. I do. I do. And I think that what it ends up being reduced to is because everybody's going to be in different levels and different iterations of Epic. Uh, organizationally, sometimes you've got, you know, clinicals there for 20 years and IT, uh, and, you know, finance just came up and everybody's like, oh my God. Um, I, I do find that the, what's intriguing is, so right now we're in a very nice conversation and I understand what Mark is saying. He's understand what I'm saying. I'm trying to say, here's my issues sometimes, but somehow it's just gotten down and dirty. So, so like, and the, if, if anybody says open a ticket, I'm like, so I, I'm like hurt. It's, it's, it's this, this thing out there, like, just, just open a ticket, you know, just, we're going to just open a ticket and just put it in writing. And there's this desire to not even really kind of cross connect anymore. And I think that's just a, you know, byproduct of how intense it's become for, for the reasons kind of, I think that we're citing here. And, um, 
I just don't know uh, completely other than kind of like what we're talking about with Mark and me and that initial conversation where I realized very unintentionally and that I was being somewhat mm, short-sighted in what I was asking for in such a way that, you know, look, I just need something to go pull these data elements together. I know where they exist. I'm certified in the charge master and Catherine, so I know where they are, blah, blah, blah. I'm all that in a bag of chips. And then, you know, I see on the other side that what I'm saying is causing a lot of problem. Like, oh, I got to go on the AP. I got to go on the fee schedule. I got to put this contact. You know, it, it, you know. And so, I'm saying, all right. You know, I like Mark. I like working with Mark. Mark's a smart, smart guy. So, how can I not be offensive at times, or or do say things and, and, and ask for things that is causing a problem? Meanwhile, I need it. You know, like like Evan's saying, I January first dropped dead new charges, no grace period. I'm, I can remember as far back as when there was a grace period, uh, sometimes at least a 30-day grace period that Medicare gave you. You can try to get yourself sorted out. We'll just keep paying this up until the end of January. And in January, forget it. So they backed that truck up all the way to Jan 1st and said, you got enough technology, figure it out. And they didn't want to pay us. But anyway, um, but it's trying to dive a little deeper into that experience about what is making us mad, you know, and, 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 or worried. Sometimes it's a loss of control. I can tell you back to that first story um, about when I was working with the implementation for the first time and you had to choose one group or the other um, that immediately sets a division. And it, it, instead of recognizing what we each know, like appreciating that maybe Mark says, actually Gretchen understands how the charge master works in Epic. Or I say, Mark, he actually really understands the billing office piece and the PFS operations and what people are doing. Instead of focusing on what we kind of do know about each other's worlds, it seems kind of like we're focusing on what you don't know. And and I'm making what you don't know a problem, you know? I I don't know. I'm maybe going in circles here, but I I (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I can think about like my last client and doing fiscal year end updates with them. I mean, uh, you have IT saying, uh, you know, Evan, where are we at? Why don't we have these files? Why don't we have this? Where, you know, you're causing a delay. We're not going to be ready for January one. And I'm like, I'm not CMS and AMA. I don't release the code. They haven't been published yet. What would you like me to do? Right? Like, I could go and cast my net and say, here's what they said potentially is going to be modified, but then come to find out like 200 extra codes last year got loaded at the last minute, you know, in the middle end of November. And, you know, thinking of that, it's like that misperception on both sides of them thinking, oh, we have this egg and we're just holding it because it's not important to us until December when honestly we would love the egg in August so that we're loaded and ready to go November and everybody can take Thanksgiving and Christmas off. But I think it's just that misnomer misperception of like who owns what and how do you get it and and where do you go from there? So I'm in full agreement on that. And, And trust me, I had a lot of IT people irritated with me and I'm like, I can't control the government. Like I just can't. And then when I get it, I can only work so many hours in a day. So, Yeah. I think it's also interesting too, that every organization has their own culture. Um, So, you know, there's back to your question a little bit ago, Evan, there's 
some groups where they don't want you to put a ticket in until you kind of discuss what needs to be done about that. Other groups where you'll have that meeting after the tickets in so that you can discuss. Um, I think, you know, no matter which way your organization falls, um, the biggest thing that I've found helpful is kind of the shared knowledge, shared experiences in those areas. I mean, obviously we're not going to have the, the VP in the system, you know, making tweaks in the background, but you also don't typically have VPs putting in tickets. Now, I am a big fan of managers, supervisors, having the ability to update things in production. So like, you know, I always give the managers and supervisors access to add people to the work queues, you know, be able to review those rules. They see kind of what goes into things in the background and ultimately then makes them, you know, smarter, more knowledgeable about how the system's set up and, you know, potentially catch some errors before they become a big thing. On, you know, the flip side of that, I think the more that IT can spend with the folks in the operational areas, the more they learn, the more they perceive, um, which allows them to, you know, work on that translation more um, and really, you know, get that understanding of what operations is asking for. So Mark, I mean, you bring up a good point. Like we don't usually anticipate a VP posting a ticket, right? However, Epic's whole push is to have VPs in the system and looking at dashboards and doing that. So why wouldn't they enter their own ticket? Why shouldn't they know or be able to do that? I mean, those are the questions as an operational leader, you know, that I step back and say, well, if my VP is supposed to be able to be in the system and look at dashboards and look at accounts and understand accounts, why do they have to come to me as a director or to a manager or a supervisor to go post a ticket for them when they're the one that found the issue? I mean, I can validate it with them and everything, but it, you know, I, I guess I'm the old school of do one, teach one. And if I can, if I shouldn't be asking my team to do something that I can't do for myself. So I, I just think it's, you know, that conceptual and especially with that big pushing for them to be in their systems. There might be another login that the VP lost access to to get into the ticketing system. So I think that's a great, that's a great uh, ask. And I think that um, I'm just going to say this on behalf of, of operations. I'm going to come out and say something. And this may not be true for everyone. We need help Watch staying current. Here. Yeah, right. <laughs> so do you do a close-up on his eyes? We often need help uh, staying current, depending on the level that you're at in an organization, staying current with what is going on. Dashboards change seemingly every week. And everybody goes, well, you can customize your, your dashboard. It's like, yeah, well, everybody customized it and suddenly it changes and went somewhere else. And I don't even know what I'm looking at. And you drill down and you're like, where am I? I mean, there are, there's that piece of knowing each other. I think that you guys were kind of talking about in terms of kind of understand, the more you can understand each other's situations and day-to-day operations on the IT side and the quote op side, the better it becomes. And, and I think also the piece about, um, expectations is, is really important because I know that there may be an expectation on me as an operator 
that I may not be able to meet. And so the, what then happens, you start to see the back, the back noise, the back conversations. It's like two people meeting with sunglasses and hats in a parking lot going, um, did you ask, did they ask for uh, Medicare managed care or did they ask, what is Medicare managed care? And you're, you know, it's like, but we can't have these open conversations. Either people are afraid of seeing, you know, looking stupid or, or, you know, not meeting expectation, or I should know this kind of thing, instead of just saying, I don't know what Medicare managed care is. And where does that fit in the scheme of what I'm trying to do? Um, and, and I think that's a huge piece of it. And, and I think the other thing that Mark, you said earlier is when you, I think somebody else said, tell me the business. I think maybe Evan, you said, you've seen examples where we put in a ticket and just tell me what you, what, tell me what the problem is, or tell me what the ask is, right? Don't try to put in EAP and fee schedules and BCC. And I've seen it where um, IT has felt like they were looked to as just sort of um, data input, right? You don't know, I'm ops, I know what I'm doing. I need this to do this, that, and the other. And I just need you to go do this, right? Versus sometimes having a conversation where I need this to happen. And, uh, you know, kind of what are my options and what's your recommendation? That's very rarely asked for, I think. Um, I think that's probably something ops could do to make things better. Yeah, I will. Oh, go ahead, Evan. I was just going to say, I think, though, in addition to that, do we actually have the right venues to do that? Because in many organizations, it's place a ticket and then I'll have a conversation, not let's have a conversation and determine if a ticket's even needed. Yeah, I do agree that you need those kind of open communication times, whether it's office hours or whatever you want to call it, just to be able to talk through things that you're seeing, but both sides are seeing. Um, I think one thing to add to Gretchen's um, comment there, I will say that, you know, interesting in my year and a half or so now as a consultant and not like working from the Epic side, uh, you know, when I was implementing systems with Epic, I, you know, knew how I helped set it up. Um, and now coming as a consultant and, you know, Clients have been live for 5, 10, 15 years. It's set up potentially differently, or there's things that I don't see when I'm looking into things or uh, researching an issue that, you know, I'll put in the ticket to have their IT team kind of update this and say, here's what I think is happening. You know, if there's something that I miss or that I don't know about, like, let's have a conversation, but here's kind of what I think the fix should be. Um, it's led to some, some good conversations and some not so good conversations. Um, but I think it's been helpful overall. Daniel, from a project management standpoint, I mean, you've been smack dab in the middle of these arguments, right? So <laughs> how have you had to help navigate these types of conversations? No. Mm -hmm. Oh boy. Well, Why he's filling, figuring out his mic, it's his turn today not to have it work. <laughs> uh, I would say uh. one thing that I have done with a few groups um, that I think has, you know, started to spread out a little more widely now um, is having kind of the weekly or regular, regularly scheduled governance meetings uh, where we're talking through what the issue is, you know, I think it's good to also 
make sure operations is all on the same page. Uh, because, you know, you might have a denials manager putting in a ticket to do something and your billing manager might hear that and say, oh, well, you know, we're doing this. Like maybe we just don't do that on the front end um, to prevent that denial from coming in. So I think the more that you can get all of the parties together to talk through what the different issues and items are, uh, the better off you will be. I always, I'm a, also a big fan of having almost all of the IT team there. I know some places only want to bring like the team lead or manager and the, you know, director level. And there again, I think you lose some of the translation because now we're playing telephone of, well, you know, the VP requested this to the manager. The manager brought it to governance, which went to the team lead. The team lead then assigned that to a person. And now we're, you know, on the fourth iteration and it could be something completely different than what was originally requested. So yeah. I think it prevents that. It also goes to that learning and kind of getting in each other's realms um, as well. So that IT gets that knowledge of what operations really want. I think it impairs your think tank as well, right? And, like and, that. And it also lets... It lets people sort of like, um, it's a safe zone, right? It's a safe zone. I can ask a question. Maybe I should know it. Maybe, but I don't know it. So, you know, you know, when you're in school and you're a kid, they're like, all questions are good. You know, all questions are good. Now all questions are bad. So, you know, it's sort of like this, this, this sort of like area that you can just sort of explore and learn two things that we've two, two tools I found once an operational tool and one sort of an actual tool. tool. So operationally, uh, one of the eight pillars of revenue integrity that Wilshire has developed is something uh, that called crew, which stands for clinical revenue enterprise work group and crew's mission is to integrate all of the charging information we have and charge like literally the EAP and so forth and integrate it into the clinical modules where the trigger may occur. And the teams come together, led usually by Rev Integrity. And then we always say, this is the chance that we're gonna talk about the money. This is the meeting where we're gonna talk about the money. We know clinicals is way more important, but we're gonna talk about the money in this meeting. And we're gonna talk about how my charge master updates get put into ambulatory, get put into Willow, get put into Optime and all these things. And so that conversation is that collaboration. And to your point, Mark, there are a lot of other people there. Um, and, and, and that's been something that has been super helpful. It requires integration. The, 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 third, the third part of the, of the tripod is the clinical representation and the conversation as well. But the smackdown today is between just ops and IT. So we don't have to bring them in. But the, the other tool that I found very useful in this, especially if you think about the annual CPT code updates or annual price updates, we can stick with six CPT. You know, I'm in my 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 tool that I'm using for charge master maintenance, and I grab a spreadsheet, and they finally give me the codes, and I got it all, and I update the the EAP, and all is well. Now I've got stuff that lives in other modules like Willow. So now I have conversations with Willow IT people, HBIP IT people, lots of other teams are there, and and Ops is again saying I need this, I need this, I need this. So a racy document has, some, has been something in the super complicated interactions where it's not just, let's say HB and ops, it's, it's HP, it's Willow, it's uh, clinical modules and ambulatory. 
Um, and RACI stands for um, Responsible, Accountable, Consulted, and Informed. And you're able to take sort of like one main uh, objective and you kind of go all, through all the teams that are involved, all the steps that are involved, and then you assign a level to that. Um, like if you're, you know, uh, if you're responsible for providing the list of the updated Hicks fix codes, that's a responsibility that goes to the, let's say the Rev Integrity team, Charge Master. Um, the other piece may be updating, um, reviewing the updates. Maybe you're informed about that. Maybe, you know, you don't have to do anything. Those have been some things that have helped the conversation clarify who's responsible for what. Yeah, I agree. I think just the overall ownership is something that typically causes an issue as well. And, you, you know, whether it's a RACI document or other, whatever tools you're using, um, really just making sure folks are accountable. We have those deadlines for when it needs to be done. You know, I'm still waiting for Evan to control the government. So that's delayed. Um, but that way everyone walks away kind of knowing what they need to do as well. So if you, a lot of times there's also kind of an ambiguous, well, we were going to do that. Okay. But who's, who's we, uh, you know, yeah, I think it takes me back to when I was at Providence in my director role and we worked with the application teams to say, hey, we want charging experts in your applications now. We don't want just anybody to be able to do an update. Yes, we want that to move and streamline tickets, but I want somebody for my revenue integrity person over pharmacy to be able to talk with Willow directly, or better yet, how do I get that Willow certified person on my revenue integrity team? How do I get my ambulatory person to be tied in and we're talking one-to-one -one and not one-to-many? And I think, you know, us doing that route, while it did limit some people in their overall ticket exposure, it did execute moving revenue cycle tickets on the clinical side faster through the process, but it's still hindered, I noticed, with general PB and general HB operate on, on just general tickets. Like, hey, I need a router build. I needed this build. I needed that build. And that still had to go into the queue, but we were at least able to maximize and execute taking care of the clinician up front and then deal with the aftermath between us and the background um, in the meantime. So um, that I, I've seen that kind of work as well. Um, we're going to take a quick break uh, just because we are at that 30 minute mark and we will be right back. The Wilshire Group is a proud sponsor of the Oregon chapter of HFMA, who's hosting their fall conference at the Oregon Garden Inn in Silverton, Oregon, October 19th through the 21st. Come listen to keynote speakers, Ed Norwood and Prefi Fernando. They'll be covering topics like, be a giant killer, why payers won't listen, mindfulness and self-care, how to slow down in order to speed up. We'll also be getting an Oregon legislation update. There are other great topics as well. We hope to see you there. And we're back. Okay, Mark and Gretchen, this is really an industry issue uh, that's been made clear today. So um, how to, on how we need to partner and teach each other really about each other's languages. So um, I can see it continuing to be a big struggle, especially as we need to move forward um, as an industry. I think this is a great chance to bring us back together and talk about IT and RevCycle management needs. 
and to move forward and build the relationship. Um, this is about improved communication between both parties. Yeah, so Gretchen and Mark, we would love if you guys would come back in two weeks for that second part of this episode um, and we can talk more about what do we need from each other and how do we move from here? Yeah, I'm sure we'll have plenty of more examples over those next two weeks where Gretchen and I, where I guess where I roll my eyes at Gretchen's request and we can bring those back to you. <laughs> I think we can also come back with some uh, recommendations around, you know, what potentially would help drive this to a better state um, there's some simple things that you might be able to do with your organization. Right. Yeah. I, Go ahead, I was going to say, I, I, I was just going to say, I wanted to fight more today. I think we went right to the um, solutions here because we're sort of like peaceful people, but I think, uh, you know, it, it, it's, I don't want to just sort of like, it's, it's, it's kind of rough out there. You know, some of the conversations that are happening are, are kind of tough and rough and, um, make, I think, work life uh, a little unbalanced and un un unpopular. And Daniel, you said something that triggered thought in my mind real quick, which was, how do you deal with turnover? You've, you've brought this young whippersnapper willow specialist up to your understanding of Hicks Picks codes and why they're important and why a dose unit is different than a Hicks Picks unit and why I have to build it a certain way. And then he or she leaves and you've got a new willow. You know, it's, it's, uh, Something there too, I think, takes the wind out of the sails of some of the operations side, um, and, and I think that's and, and both sides really. But but that's also something else that you have to sort of think about, and we should think of options or ideas around how that how that works if you get a new person in into the team. Yeah, because I would love to handle that from a IT or when operations changes too. Well, everybody, we're going to come back in two weeks and uh, we hope that you're going to join us and listen how this wraps up. Um, also, if you have experiences or stories you want to share, go ahead and submit those to the Wilshire Lab. Um, you can submit that at uh, Wilshire Podcast at thewilshiregroup.net. All right. I think we're, we're in the wrap-up stage now. Uh, Thank you, Gretchen and Mark, for joining us. And let us know how, I mean, do you want to let our viewers know how we can contact you or how they can contact you if they have questions, want to reach out, get a little bit more information? Absolutely. Um, our email ad is perfect, uh, g.case at the wilshiregroup.net. Happy to talk anytime. Yep. And mm -hmm. mine is m.wilson at the wilshiregroup.net. And Gretchen and I are as well as Evan and Daniel are all on LinkedIn. You can reach out to us there as well. Well, Daniel, Gretchen, and Mark, I think that's it for us today. Um, that's a wrap. If you liked today's episode, continue to join Wilshire Wednesdays. You can follow us on LinkedIn or find us on Twitter at Evan underscore Wilshire. Daniel can be found at Daniel underscore TWG. The Wilshire group is at TWG Health for us on Facebook at the Wilshire Group or on our Instagram at Wilshire IT RevCast. Remember, if you prefer to watch, come check us out on YouTube at the Wilshire IT RevCast YouTube channel. If you have an inquiry, want to share your thoughts, or get additional information on a topic, email us at the Wilshire Podcast at the Wilshire Group.net. The best way for you to support this podcast is to rate, review, and subscribe. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. The Wilshire IT Revcast is hosted, produced, and engineered by Evan Martin and Daniel Bianchini. 
It is executive produced by Gretchen Case, Hank Smither, and Spencer Thielman. The Wilshire Group, experience you can trust, results you can count on.